right? Just so you know, Liam, this you, you, this is called Twenty Schemes Uncut. You've probably never seen, but um, it's basically I generally just ask questions as they they come to me, and sometimes we say some things that are a little bit controversial, or at least I do. And we do have quite a large following, but I what I don't do is put anything out that you'd be uncomfortable with. So I'll I'll show it you beforehand. Um, because I'm as liable to say something controversial as yeah, you. That, that, that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping for a bit of that. But, uh, <laughs> but just so you know, you know, people sort of like it. But let's just say a little bit about who you are for our guys. Um, we have quite a lot of um, subscribers around the world. Uh, Liam is the Senior Minister of 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia. I hope I got this right. It says you've... I got this off Wikipedia last night, by the way. You've got your own Wikipedia. It's page. all wrong, by the way. Never is mind. it? So have you, you've written more than six books. I, I never wrote. Uh, I think there are seven books. So you've written seven books. There you go. And it says you've contributed to something like 27 books. Oh, really? That's interesting. And uh, anyway, <laughs> conference con conference speaker, defender of penal substitutionary atonement, uh, which, 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 which we like. I, I, we just did a, a conference at 20 Schemes last year on penal substitutionary atonement atonement and child abuse wow that's great. Why, why it's necessary to hold on yeah. to it and i kind of went i think i went rogue at the time uh at least some people uh thought i'd gone rogue in writing a book in response to steve chalk's view of child cosmic child abuse oh yeah um, and the fact that i named him was a no-no <laughs> I got my hands, my knuckles wrapped. Though I didn't apologise, but my knuckles were wrapped for doing that. <laughs> and he's gone off the rails. Well, well I know. I think the... it was right in my press, prescience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I remember. I remember being studying at Moorlands about <clears throat> my Bible college in the south of England, like in the 90s. And everybody, the whole group was, of us was sent out to listen to him. Yeah. And I thought it was a bit of a car salesman myself, but I was always a bit of a cynic. But um, Yeah, I think I would echo that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think he was on TVM at that point, if you remember TVM. Yeah, right. yeah, it was all over the place, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, you also um, have been around social media for a while on this debate on the Trinity, which I hope you can clarify for the, the thickos among us like me. Um, so some of my friends fall, uh, take the line against which you argue. Mm. Um, and so it's been interesting for me just to sit back and uh... well when they get to heaven they'll find out they've been wrong exactly <laughs> uh, but um, it's interesting for me just to sit and watch back although I'm completely off social media now um, I've been for about a year I just completely it became too much for me so I just it is a bit overwhelming to be honest and I, I, I kind of self police myself to be honest on it. yeah I tried that and but because I'm a moron with a big mouth uh uh, I just, I, I just got off it. I'm, I'm, I just do Instagram now. But anyway, I've, I've been reading some of that stuff with, with interest. Um, and you've been, I didn't realise you've been, you've been there ten years now. Ten yeah, press. yeah. And, and you, you went straight there from, England. From yeah, from London, from Duke Street. Yeah. Yeah, and again, you, you don't probably remember this. And I keep, I say this every time I, I meet I, you. But... I, I totally remember it. I was, um, I can't remember how I went for an interview at your church. Thankfully for you, never employed me. I think it might have been Steve Bra Brady who. Steve, I think it was Steve. So go along to this church and I went along to this amazing 
amazing church, huge church, right, in a very sort of nice part of London. I remember, I think I went for a walk along, um, is it Richmond Park? Might be nearby. I can't remember, but yeah. I remember thinking, saying to my wife, I, this would be, I think this might be beyond me. I was rough back then. <laughs> um, I, I, don't, I can't remember what happened. We had an interview, but obviously I didn't get, I didn't get the job, but I went elsewhere yeah. then, but then I didn't hear from you for years and years. I, know. I can't remember how we met. Yeah. No, I remember that. I remember that. I think I think we didn't really have at that stage very many. It was to work with younger people. And, That's right. And well, I remember you preached on Genesis. You preached on the flood. Really? See, I'm, that's how good it was. I remembered it. Wow. Well, that's, that's got that's going back some years, isn't it? Twenty odd years. A long time. Yeah. Oh, and I met your kid, met your son, who was in the police at the time. That's right. That was very early on then. Yeah. That was very early on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He left. So now, anyway, so now you then you came over to the, um, you, you left there and came to the States. I didn't realise you were a minister in um, Scotland as well, weren't you, for a bit? Oh, well, yeah. So I started out, uh, I went to college in Northern Ireland and my first church was in Belfast during the Troubles. Um, is that Belfast Bible College you went to? Or? No, it was uh, the Irish Baptist College. Okay, yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, it, I went in 1970, so it was right in the middle of the, the worst part of the Troubles. And yeah. where my church was, was in a, was in a scheme, Rathcool. Um, and at one point, Rathcool became an armed camp. There were burnt cars, all the entrances into the scheme, burnt cars stopping people getting in, paramilitaries on the high-rise apartments near where the church was. The paramilitaries used to line up in the wee parking lot that behind our church building. During the evening service, you would hear them out there practicing their marching and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, they, it, they, they burnt out the Catholics, the petrol bombs to the, the Catholics' door places, and they moved them out. It was, it was. It was a really interesting time to be alive. I, you know, I was in a children's home in Belfast in the 70s. Really? Yeah, in a Catholic one. So I remember it. Yeah, we were, because obviously I'm, I'm from Ireland. We were, um, yeah. how I came to be from England in the late 70s was shipped with a load of children in care from Belfast over to the northern, the north of England because yeah. the troubles got so bad. Yeah. So. I think I knew that actually about you, but uh, I'd forgotten it. But then you went to Scotland. So, yeah, well, I'm from Scotland. So when we went to Canada, actually, we were in Canada for four years. And uh, and then we came back because of family things and went to Airdrie, which was a mining, an old mining village in Scotland near Glasgow. And uh, that was a very, very hard area. But we saw we had some really bad schemes there around Airdrie. Yeah, and still there. We had a lot of people from there converted, actually. Um, and I would say that that's really where, that's where the work was done while, while I was in the Adri, I think. Um, and in terms of conversions and so on. A lot that of Kirk that, and, you in Kirk and Tillich, right? I went from there to Kirk and Tillich. Right. <laughs> and uh, Kirky, we, we started out a church in Hairstains, which was a scheme near the town centre. One, one of the places we're uh, looking at planting a church soon with 20 schemes, actually. Wow, excellent. That's really good. That's really good. We had a, a, a guy 
who was converted, Frank, uh, who had been was a gangster. When you when you walked down the town with with <laughs> Frank, everybody in the, <laughs> in Kirky you recognise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he was a real hard man, you know, and. and uh, Mary, his wife, was uh, had, was a nurse, so she could write. Frank couldn't read or write, and and Mary would take notes, and they'd go home. And I, I tell you, I, there was a professor at Glasgow University sat in the balcony, and he used to complain about my preaching. He said, "I don't understand anything Liam Gallagher's saying." <laughs> Frank, Frank understood it. Frank got it. Frank Amen. and Mary, they got everything, and they drank it in, and. Uh, it just contradicts all the the things of the the, the world thinks, you know. <laughs> Spiritual enlightenment is not is not uh, something that is confined to any class. It's God exactly. overrules the 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 wise according to this world in order to. Uh, yeah, I. The reality on the ground is that the poor have often more of a heart for God and are more responsive to the things. Yeah. Of I remember being taught at Moorlands years ago. I did my first degree that by the evangelist lecturer that poor people don't read books and therefore you shouldn't ever, if you're a pastor, ever have a book in your house or blah, 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 blah. And it's absolute nonsense. Actually, I've got a harder time getting middle-class people to read than guys from my estate. Totally. Once, totally. They, once they're saved, man, they just, they, they want to, they read anything and everything that you give them. My dad couldn't read. Uh, he used to practice copying out letters from his yep. Bible, but he understood the things of God, and he was oh, exactly. <laughs> That's the thing. <clears throat> right. So I, I sent you a few things. Um, one of which I remember. I visited your church in Philly. It was cool, and I can't forget your window by Tiffany. <laughs> who I thought was a member of your church because that's how. <laughs> um, <clears throat> we don't have any Tiffany's in our church, but no. But <laughs> you've got a Tiffany window, which is like serious money. Um, I can't remember the story of how it, how it got there. Obviously, you inherited this place. It was already there when you got there. But Yeah, yeah. I think it was, it was one of the – there was a period, I think, in the late 19th century where there was a lot of really wealthy people right. uh, who came to 10th. And uh, <laughs> I said past 10th. <laughs> and, and when they died or whatever, they gave – they gave something and dedicated to a member of their family. It kind of happens in old church. So that, that must be seriously well insured, that pain of window, right? Yeah, that, that window pain is definitely seriously well insured. <laughs> I was wondering how long that would last in Nidri. I don't think it would last overnight, but... Not long. Not long anyway. in most places, to be honest. So you've been at Temp Prez. Uh, you probably get sick of this, but following in the footsteps of Phil Riken, who... who? Is it <laughs> Phil Riken? Yes, here. Phil Riken. Is it? I don't. I, if I'm honest, I've no idea who he is. He's now president of Wheaton. Yeah, uh, most of my guys who listen will have no clue, but a lot of them will know James Montgomery Boyce because he's like a little bit of a hero of mine. Um, and so, um, what's it? Did you feel nervous following in the footsteps of these dudes, or was it just like? I mean, I knew that. It, it, so I, I knew Phil Reich and. Uh, and I had followed Jim Boyce, I suppose, from afar. And my my mother's family grew up in the tent hall in Glasgow. Mm -hmm. And Barnhouse came to the tent hall and took a whole month, I think, in 1939, just before war broke out, the month of August. And my grandma used to talk to me about Barnhouse and, and 
his way of preaching and so on. And I think that kind of, uh, all my life, I, I knew 10th was on the horizon, uh, if you like, because I knew about it and so forth. And the interesting thing is that when I came to 10th, I was there about a month and an ex member from Virginia came visited and uh, he had married Barnhouse's assistant um, and or secretary and and then inherited some of Barnhouse's books. So he gives me this book with Barnhouse's signature on it, which was very nice of him to do, but I took it home. And on the front page, Barnhouse has written, read in Glasgow, 1939. Hmm. And I'm thinking, those were the meetings my grand used to talk to me about. Hmm. <laughs> and the 10 Hall, of course, as you know, was right in the poorest part of Glasgow. I mean, my, mem my memory of the 10 Hall was, the, the lines of people outside coming for for meals and stuff. Um, they did a great work. Mm. Uh, and in some ways, I think those mission halls were a precursor to what you're doing. Um, yeah, basically, you, basically the 20 schemes, what we're finding is those old mission halls, which were crammed in the 50s and 60s and part of the early 70s, they've, we're now getting offered them almost on a monthly basis. They're just run down they've not seen converts for 50 years yeah. Yeah. Um, shame from, from their heyday but it must still have been a big they're big boots to fill right to go in and go in and take on a church with that without heritage but you did the same that with the church you're in, in london if i remember was that some sort yeah. of famous church I yeah they had, they had big names there yeah they, well, I, we used to worship there when it came to london yeah yeah Okay, cool. I'm going to move on from that because I want to ask you, because you're from Glasgow, so you'll know Glasgow well than me. Um, one of the things that our research has found in 20 schemes, and we're just about to publish a book this year um, on poverty in the UK, and, and, and um, Glasgow by far has got the biggest problem of poverty in Scotland, probably in the UK, if I'm honest. Um, there's close to 100 schemes in Glasgow, and very very lots of church planting going on in glasgow right now by the way lots of it's in the west end lots of it lots of it very trendy mm. very studenty but why do you think the evangelical church has let it come to this where there's just i mean there are there, there are swathes of scottish schemes that have not heard the gospel of christ for five decades i i think there's a <clears throat> i think there's a culture in evangelicalism which is shaped by the kind of upper middle class people who dominate the evangelical scene, who have power and money, influence, and who hold the keys of access to all of the conferences and all of the, uh, the plum jobs and so on. And, and the, model, the model of church that they encourage and which they develop when they're planting churches and all the rest of it is a certain kind of church and there are certain expectations in those churches which exclude anybody outside of of an inner circle of people hmm. and everybody else is trying to get into that inner circle or know people who are in that middle that, that hmm. inner circle and the people in that inner circle are not they will not put money into something they cannot control. So they don't give money to things that they aren't running themselves. And they don't run things in places like schemes. 
which I find incredible because uh, obviously I'm a Baptist, but Scotland is obviously largely Presbyterian. And, and I have got a lot of Presbyterian friends and I love Presbyterian his, Scottish history, particularly Chalmers and Guthrie. And, and the history of the free church in Scotland is they, they were, they, they, most of their congregations grew out of poor communities. Easter House, particularly. Mm -hmm. I mean, Thomas Chalmers had something very similar to 20 schemes when he, he, yes, he totally. <clears throat> 20 church, and he was trying to build, I can't remember what he called it, but it was basically planting 20 churches in 20 of Scotland's poor, in Glasgow's poorest communities. And uh, that the sort of free churches born in that sort of whole methodology of ministry and yet it just see like you just said it just I, I i spoke in the free church college about five years ago and again this is public record so my free church pals that are watching this know know this and i i in the free church college i was asked to give a lecture on, on something and i asked about 100 people in attendance put your hand up if you've heard of thomas um chalmers and about half the room did which i found completely bizarre was sat in the institution he founded yeah and these young lads mainly yeah. being trained for ministry know nothing about the guy and about his history of working with the poor what what, what what do you think that's all about i mean i was baffled i know and i mean chambers and to, to read chambers's work and the the details into which he goes as he details what what yeah what poverty situation was like i mean yeah. He opened the eye. He was going down to London and showing them in London what, what was going on in Scotland. Yeah. And he took matters into his own hands, education. And, and yeah. he went himself. I mean, he wasn't like raising up people to go and do it for him. He went himself. When he was in the Tron in Glasgow, he was going into the streets nearby that were absolutely poverty stricken. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we, because we, one of the reasons, because we run a, 20 schemes run, if you know this, we run a, something called a ragged school of theology now. Which we, we train, yeah. we've got about 20 students this year from council estates around Scotland. We're training and um, an English guy said to me, seems like a very silly name, ragged school. What's that? And I'm like, well, if you knew, <laughs> you have to know Scottish, <laughs> Scottish history. You know what the ragged schools were. It's education for the poorest kids who, who weren't even allowed to go to school at that time. And, and, the, and these Christian men were at the forefront for fighting for, for the rights for kids to not only be educated but to hear the gospel yeah. it, it's just bizarre to me that yeah. an english irishman with an english accent has to come and teach church history in the land that absolutely i mean it's true and, and the other thing about glasgow is that family connection with us is jock troop was a fisherman in the northeast of scotland man in no education whatsoever and he was converted and God used him in a great revival right on down the coast um, in the 20s. What was uh, the guy's name? Jock Troop. T-R-O-U-P. Jock Troop. Okay. You, you really need to get that story, Miss, for yourself. Oh, uh, look it up. and There's a YouTube thing that, that, that runs through his story. Oh, yeah, look at that. Um, but so when he, he was converted, he preached. He, he just went off the boat and thousands i mean thousands hundreds of thousands of people were converted by him in the 20s hmm. and uh and then eventually he felt he needed some he needed some theology he had no training or anything and he went to what was the bti the bible training institute which had been set up by moody in the wake of dl moody's visit because dl moody 
D.L. Moody had a great heart for Glasgow. He saw the poverty in Glasgow in the late 18, uh, 1880s, 1790s. And that's out of that grew the tent hall and other mission stations uh, to, to help with the, the poverty situation. But he also saw the need for poor people who did no education to get Bible training. Jock Troop went there and got Bible training and <coughs> God used him uh, in, in Scotland. And I, I think I think one of the problems nowadays is that, well, the Bible Training Institute, I don't know whether it's still alive today, but um, what's, what's happened is that <coughs> all the training institutes, there's nothing for people who don't have the tools, who mm-hmm. don't have, have the the education to do it. Yeah. I believe I believe you don't need to have the education to understand the things of God, mm-hmm. to understand them deeply. But you need somebody who's going to have the patience and the vision to see that you have the potential to be a preacher and a teacher of the Word of God. And let, let me give you, this is interesting, I like this, because um, obviously we started the Ragged School for that reason. Lots of our guys they're never going to afford theological education in the UK. It's priced out of their whole. I mean, it's just never going to happen. They don't have the cultural or social capital to even yeah. go there. They never mind fit there and have to completely readjust to another culture. And so um, one of the things and I'm arguing for it in the book is I'm not against theological education. Our ministers have to be theologically educated. But what, what, where's the obsession come from? these days at least, that you are, you have to have at least a, a bachelor's or a, a now even a master's degree before you're even allowed to be considered as a pastoral co- candidate. I, I, I find that particularly frustrating and almost elitist. But as soon as I mention it, I'm shouted at, well, you, you're being anti-intellectual. You know, we've got to have proper training. I'm, I'm not arguing against proper training, but there is... Yeah. There seems to be an intellectual snobbery that suggests unless you have these degrees, you're not capable. Well, I, I, there's that. There's also the financial issue. You know, oh, yeah. You, you, you have to perpetuate the thing. It's, big money, <laughs> I mean, isn't it? it's very, very expensive to run a, a theological institution. So therefore, they've got to kind of find ways of of uh, making money, basically. So, But but I do think I, I really think what you're doing with the ragged school is vital. I mean, we've got to do that. We have to, we have to make it more available to people. I, I mean, I, the the olden days, I think, a minister would take on a few young men mm-hmm. and train himself. Yeah, I wish I, I wish I do, could do that. I could do that by Zoom, actually, I suppose. But it, it, I mean, it would yeah. be uh, it, that would be a way to proceed. Maybe maybe exactly. they, it's the model we use. Yeah, it's the yeah. model we use is there's all we've. You know, we've got including Nidri right now. We've got ten plants across five cities, and all of them will have interns, both male and female, in terms of uh, of, of training and um, participate in the ragged school. But it's 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 just interesting to me um, that there's a problem in the UK. The middle class church is becoming increasingly more distant from half the population which lives in council estates. The theological institutions aren't preparing men and women to go into these communities. Yeah. They're preparing them to go into middle class churches and, and follow that that system. Yeah. And so, you know, we need a we, we need a almost reformation of the institutions that, like you say, are pretty much close to us. Unless you 
have got the right social right social capital, it's yeah, that was true. Breaking into Fort Knox, and I think what what people who have good training and education is also to, to be challenged with is God calling you to work with the poor? Yeah, you know, I mean, and and there's a cost involved in that. My first church, Rathcool, my salary was a thousand pounds a year, hmm. which was sounds like a lot of money, but it was we had we couldn't afford to buy our baby clothes <laughs> I mean, because no, no. uh, we had to pay for the for the heat we had to pay for the the oil that fueled the heat um and everything I, and buying books i couldn't afford to buy books you know um so there's a there's a price to pay like that but maybe god is calling you to do that people need to consider that that god's calling you to, to work in a in a hard area I, I think one of the encouragements for us recently has been i'll speak at several conferences around the world in the UK. And what I've noticed is when I ask, I, I usually ask, put your hands up if you've heard of 20 schemes. When I started this years ago, obviously no one's heard of 20 schemes, but now most of the people who raise their hands are under 30. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like, you know, we've done our job with, you know, yeah. with the, 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 yeah. some of the older generation that just Absolutely. haven't got a clue. Maybe they're not media savvy, but we're at least saying to young men and women, look, don't just go to parachurch organizations if you've got a heart for the poor. Come and work in local churches and we'll we'll give you the places, give you the support and educate you educate you to do it just to do it as well. I know we're only small two penny outfit, but and we're only focused on Scotland, but we are seeing real real fruit. And um you know, once this lockdown's over, we've got um we've got a further eight plants ready to go. And so we're we're focusing in Glasgow in the next ten years. Um, so we've we've got five to get off the ground straight away. Let me ask you a question about uh, money, because you may not have known this until I sent you the email yesterday. But you are currently the only Presbyterian church in the world who've ever given us a penny. Um, which I yeah, much. <laughs> which I still find staggering, given what we're doing. We do have um, three current. Presbyterian um, church plants we're involved with in the Highlands, in Vaness, in Dundee. Um, and uh, actually, last week, an anonymous Baptist donor gave $100,000 for a pre the, the Presbyterian work in Dundee, which I thought was remarkably <laughs> open-handed and generous. But we really struggled to get the Presbyterian church on board with what we're trying to do. They seem extremely suspicious um, uh, and very slow to act. And I wondered what that was all about, if you had an idea of that. I, I Maybe I just don't know what why that would be. When, when I consider what, what they do give to us, what we, the church here even has given to in parts of the world, I think is pretty sketchy. And <laughs> you're not sketchy. You know what I mean? It's uh, You're kosher at every level in terms of Theology and, and methodology and everything. Um, I, I maybe maybe people like me need to just be a bit more vocal in, in terms of getting the word out. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I mean, even to th thinking about this conversation we're having today, I do a midweek for my congregation here, which gets goes around other churches. 
and I think I'm just going to talk about Tony Schemes <laughs> this week. But I'd maybe I don't know. I don't know what. It's not just a Presbyterian problem. We I think it's a, it's the UK Church um, would uh, would probably contribute less than ten percent of our budget. That's how completely indifferent they are to what we're trying to do. Even though we're widely known now, we're 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 you know we're theologically, as you say, we're theologically reformed. We're theologically rigorous and yet still there's just complete indifference to it well i think i think the the kind of people who could give to you are giving to their own things Mm -hmm. and i I think one of the problems is that the market has kind of been cornered in terms of where money comes from in the uk yeah most money comes from the southeast yeah no i agree and uh all that money is tied up because it goes through the same hands, I think, and 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 are focused on on pet projects that uh, I I really do think that people need a shake up. They need a shake up, and and made to see that they have to they have to take risks and, and give money that's not going to be under their immediate control. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's appalling. Yeah, well, the problem is when we won't get we'll, we'll move off we'll, we'll move off from that. I just find it very very interesting, and we're very appreciative as a ministry for the support, your support, and champion of, of us in the states. And uh, I know our, our our Presbyterian boys who are slogging it, slogging it out up north. The yeah. Highlands of Scotland are particularly dark, as you well know. I mean, our people, by the way, on a regular basis, people ask me when you're coming back to preach because they loved you preaching. I'll appreciate that. They're most like little angry men shouting at them. <laughs> no, was, you weren't at all, not at all. And, and in fact, they listen to you whenever they can find something on online. They tell me they listen to you. So <laughs> I'm supposed to be I'm back. Uh, jealous, I'm trying not to feel threatened. But <laughs> I'm supposed to be back in April, but I've been cancelled again. But uh, I'm, I think I'm out. Supposed to be out later in the year. Be great to go back, though. I love Philadelphia. It rem- some, for for some reason, it just reminds me of Scotland, and I don't understand. It's just there's something about it. Well, it's the Scots and the Scots Irish were very influential in finding Philly. It was the Scots Irish, and it's place. a rough place in places too, isn't it? Very rough place. Very rough. I noticed that when I was there. Yeah, a lot of when you play. Right, let me just let me ask you some other questions because I'm, you know, we're, we're over time really. But um, I'd, I'd be interested to know because we we don't have many Americans who've come over. We've got a few who've come over who've really struggled with cl- scheme culture. But what? You might you're more settled now, but what were the big differences you found as a, a UK guy moving to the USA in your pastoral ministry that were um, maybe or difficult to adjust to? Yeah, I think probably it was adjusting to the, to the, a large church, you know, right. and in a large church, not not having as much interaction with people. I think the cultural uh, thing for me was that the large, and it was for my wife as well coming to a large, very large church. How do you come into that when you, how do you make relationships in a large church? And uh, my wife, my wife used to come with me when I preached in the summers here before I became the minister. And she would sit in the congregation. Nobody ever talked to her. In fact, I think in the, in the four year, five years, six years that we were coming over in the summers, only one person ever talked to her, and that was to say that they were keeping the seat for somebody else. <laughs> and but uh, but it, it, it's just uh, 
it's just a, because you don't know everybody. You just people know a little group of people. And, and that's the way big churches work. We but, don't have those kind of big churches in Britain, typically. Duke Street was pretty big, though, right? If I remember. No, it wasn't. It wasn't really. Wasn't it? But if you think the average church size in England is 50, it was... Well, it was big in relation to that, but not that much bigger. Maybe but, four uh, times bigger. But... I was going to ask you a question. So one of the things we notice about Americans when we when they come over to Scotland, and you, you're Scottish, so you know this for a fact, scheme people aren't backwards in coming forward, shall we say. Uh, very brutal, very direct. Um, we a lot of our, I think a lot of our American guys who come over, I, I'll put this politely, without saying what I really think is um, they they like to be told how great they are a lot like you know encouraged and and affirmed and I think they find that a part of Scottish it's not a very it's not a very I don't think it's a British thing but it particularly isn't a scheme thing is it and no so um, and my my sense of humor doesn't really go down here because we kind of put people down oh yeah <laughs> Yeah. Uh, it's it's our way of showing affection but yeah yeah exactly and uh that that does not go down that sarcasm is very difficult for them yeah they hate sarcasm i mean and, and i i've got into a lot of trouble over that yeah, i have yeah. offended a lot of people that way and in fact when we had a bunch of people over remember visiting we visited you and we visited That's right yeah and I remember, I remember one of the guys saying to our session when they when we got back, he said, "I, I just want to report, they're all like him." <laughs> <laughs> no, they struggle. They, I, they, I, it took me the first two few times I went to America, I, I like caused a lot of outrage. Apparently, I had to have a guy with me, Matthew Spanler Davison, you've met, who's like digging me out of holes that I didn't know I was digging because I was just the way I talk. Anyway, we're gonna go, we're gonna end up, but I want to end up with some advice. We get a lot of people on 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 our um, who listen to this, a lot of young men and women who have, you know, a lot of them have just been newly converted. A lot of them thinking about going into uh, uh, um, some sort of vocational ministry, either planting in the schemes or being women's gospel workers or, or, or training for <clears throat> training for the pastorate. And I, I just what what advice would you have for them? Just you know, from your experience uh, 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 of what they perhaps need to work on or, th or think about as they begin service for the Lord. Yeah, I think I went into it. I went into it. I always wanted to to share the gospel, and I just did it wherever I could do it. I, I spoke to cows when they were the only people that would come to. That's <laughs> where I practiced, and then and with young people on the streets, I used to do it on the streets and stuff like that. I, I think what I wasn't prepared for was the people that you had to deal with <laughs> and, and the varieties of people and and uh conflict think, yeah i think you need to be prepared so you need to keep your focus on god i i the more the more i look back in my life and the more at this stage in my life i think the temptation to read books about other things that you think are important are a distraction away from knowing God. And I, I think that we we need to know, first of all, the Bible is a book about God, more than it's a book about how to deal with people's emotions and how to deal with this and that and the other thing. A lot of those other things we can actually extrapolate from what we know. I mean, how, how to reach the poor? Well, 
you know, we've got, we know that not from the Bible. We know we're supposed to do it from the Bible, but mm-hmm. how you do it, well, look around for methodologies and, and ask people questions and mm-hmm. let them inform the way you respond to them. Don't come in with a preconceived idea of what you're going to enforce in this area or whatever. Listen to your listen to the people. Observe the people. Uh, that's when you get into the to the job. I think that's the most important thing you do, because you you want those people not to think that you've come as the great answer to the world and and you're going to impose your ideas on them of of, of behavior and outer things. The one thing that you can contribute to them is what you know about God. You will learn more from them. You will learn how how to re, how to serve them from them in 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 your daily life. I, I I do think a lot a lot of problems emerge when people think I've got to learn what the job looks like before I go into the job. You, you learn on the job mm-hmm. what it what it's all about by learning from the people and. Uh, so I would focus in your preparation on knowing God because that's what's going to keep you going in tough times, in times when you don't have enough money, times when you're uh, struggling with looking at others who are more successful, up in churches or whatever. I'm embarrassed. <laughs> There's an element of me is embarrassed that I'm in a well-known church. You know, I just kind of feel... Why am I here? You know, I just I'm just a wee guy from Hillhouse in Hamilton, <laughs> and and uh, the left school at fifteen. You know, I'm, what am I doing here? And uh, but but actually, I think that at one level or another, and I think, well, I know God. Amen. I know the Word of God, and that's why I'm here. Um, just one last thing, because I remember you speaking about this years ago, and I find it. Be good, but you might not even remember. But you say to those who constantly tell me that expositional preaching has no place in council estate ministry. Well, you know, that's exactly what I was saying earlier about about when my my experience in uh, Kirky, um I was doing expository preaching. It was just the professor from Glasgow University was complaining about. It. <laughs> Meanwhile, ordinary people are drinking it in. I mean, yeah. I mean, so I say ordinary people, you know what I mean? I, I, I hate even using that word, but people, normal people. <laughs> well, people who, people who the middle classes regard as maybe intellectually inferior and therefore think they won't take this in. Yeah. Couldn't be further I, from I, the truth. I have found middle class people have far more obstacles to understanding the word of God than people with less equipment, yeah. you know, because... Because God is, I mean, learn from the Bible. God has mm-hmm. uh, said clearly in the Bible that he is concerned for the poor and that it's the things that are not that will bring to nothing the things that are. That's Amen. God's way. God's and way the foolishness of preaching, right? Yeah, and it's it's the word of God that does that. Cool. That Listen. Does its work. I appreciate your time, but honestly, I really do. It's great to see you, actually. Appreciate your church's support. We'll send this out to you so you can have a check out before we put it out live, just in case you want us to take things out. But honestly, it's really good to see you, man. And I'm, I am, I'm, I'm hopefully over there the um, towards the back end of the year. 
We'll try and fit us in if you can. No, I, I, def I definitely will. I'd love to come out because I, I, I love Philly when I was there. It was only briefly, but I really like the city. That's great. God bless, bud, all right? See ya. Thanks so much.